0: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa Podcast. While the prospect of a GOP victory in the midterms looms ever larger, we can still take solace in the fact that some of the very worst of the fucking worst inside the GOP's putrid tent will likely face their own measure of recrimination for doing some very bad fucking things. Chief among these trolls and boogeymen is the alleged child sex trafficker Matt Gates
1: in the New York Times with the report that Republican Florida Congressman Matt Gates is under investigation by the Justice Department over claims of a quote Sexual relationship with a 17-year-old. Investigators examining whether he, quote, violated federal sex trafficking laws.
0: While Gates continues to barnstorm the country, appearing beside his fellow heel, Miss Jewish Space Laser herself, fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene, He has become a permanent thorn in the side of both Democrats and Republicans alike.
1: That we are going to expose these fundamental truths with aggressive dogged oversight. But to make that happen, we must jettison the seniority system of selecting committee chairmen. The greatest nation in the country, the greatest political movement of our time cannot exclusively be run by a gerontocracy. So get these silver-haired valets for lobbyists out of the way. Give me Madison Cawthorn as a committee chairman. Give me MTG. Give me a Lauren Boebert. Uh, Let's make sure that we got folks, even if we don't have the most seniority, that are ready to actually get in the battle and fight, because far too often we get power, we go back to the embassy parties, we enjoy the trappings of Washington.
0: Democrats hate Gates because he represents everything rancid about the contemporary GOP. He is a troll for whom the only goal is the raising of money and the accumulation of power. And as part of the so-called House Freedom Caucus, Gates has co-signed all manner of sedition and conspiracy. Republicans hate Gates because he holds a mirror up to those who think they somehow exist above the fray. Well, sorry guys, you're all fucking rotten, but Gates occupies a special space in hell. Now check this out. Big Joe Ellicott, a former Florida shock jock with potentially key information about the sex trafficking ring involving Gates, has pled guilty in federal court. Justice Department investigators have reached a cooperation agreement with Ellicott, whose attorney says he witnessed Gates attend parties involving a whole lot of sex and drug use. Another potential boom to the sprawling and slow-moving sex trafficking investigation into the congressman.
2: A Florida radio host has met with federal investigators to share what he knows about allegations of sex trafficking and sex with a minor against Republican Congressman Matt Gates.
0: Joseph Ellicott agreed to plead guilty to two federal criminal charges in a case separate from the probe of Gates. But Ellicott also has been talking with the Justice Department investigators, examining whether the congressman committed sex trafficking of a minor, according to court documents, and Ellicott's attorney, Joe Zwick. Ellicott's plea agreement requires him to cooperate fully with the government as they explore other potential crimes.
2: Attorney tells CNN his client has met with federal investigators
1: to share what he knows about allegations against Gates, including sexual contact with a minor, sex trafficking, and obstruction of justice. Ellicott is cooperating with investigators again after he pleaded guilty in a separate bribery scre- scheme. He's also pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud and uh, pleaded guilty to distribution of a controlled substance. It should be noted that Ellicott has not been called to testify yet, but he his information could serve uh, to corroborate some of the testimony of a man named Joel Greenberg. He's a one-time close friend of Gates's. He's a former Florida tax official who has also been cooperating with authorities after pleading guilty to several charges last year. Some of those charges include uh, that he knowingly solicited and paid a minor for sex.
0: Now, Zwick said Ellicott was a friend of a person close to Gates, and because of that, he attended events or heard conversations involving the congressman that are of interest to investigators. Zwick said those events were basically like, like what you'd expect at a college frat party adding that Ellicott witnessed sex drugs, and a whole lot of it.
1: Let's have a bachelor party with chicks and guns and fire trucks and hookers and
2: drugs and booze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah! All the things that make life worth living for. Ah!
0: Federal prosecutors have been investigating Gates for possible sex trafficking for more than a year and lining up possible witnesses, although the congressman has not been charged with any crimes and has repeatedly denied wrongdoing. <laughs> But in May, prosecutors notably secured a guilty plea from Joel Greenberg, a friend of Gates and former Florida tax collector. Law enforcement officials suspect that Greenberg paid women to have sex with the congressman, according to people familiar with the matter, who have spoken on the condition of anonymity to discuss the ongoing investigation. It was in exploring charges against Greenberg, who pleaded guilty to sex trafficking of a minor, that prosecutors came across evidence potentially implicating Gates, the people have said. First though, we are following a hearing inside this Orlando, Florida courtroom. It wrapped up, in fact, just a few moments ago.
1: Joel Greenberg, former Florida tax official and associate of Republican Congressman Matt Gates was in that courtroom. According to court filings, he pled guilty To six federal charges, plans to cooperate with federal investigators, a criminal case involving Greenberg has led to a sex trafficking investigation of Congressman Gates.
0: Now, more recently, prosecutors saw testimony before a federal grand jury in Orlando from a former girlfriend of Gates's, who seemed to know a whole lot about the congressman's alleged predilection for young girls. (laughs) Oh boy, he's going to be popular in prison. Gates, in his straight-faced support of Trump's authoritarian vision, is more dangerous than he appears. His support for the imprisonment of January 6th committee members, for example, places him firmly in the corner of the extremists along with other strange bedfellows like Newt Gingrich and the serpent Steve Bannon. Uh, You're going to have a Republican majority in the House and Republican majority in the Senate and all these people who've been so tough and so mean and so nasty are gonna be delivered subpoenas for every document, every conversation, every tweet, every email, uh, because I think it's clear that these are people who are literally just running over the law pursuing innocent people, causing them to spend thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees for no justification. And it's basically a lynch mob. And unfortunately, the attorney general of the United States has joined that lynch mob and is totally misusing the FBI. And I think when you have a Republican Congress, this is all going to come crashing down and the wolves are going to find out that they're now sheep. And they're the ones who are, in fact, going to, I think, face a real risk of jail uh, for the kind of laws they are breaking. The wolves, Gingrich refers to, are better explained in his recent Newsweek column entitled The Wolves Will Become Sheep. In this piece, he accuses the January 6th committee of being a lynch mob, but, as was the case in his TV segment, does not cite any specific laws that have been broken by the investigators. The closest he comes to making an actual indictment is to say that the January 6th select committee is in the process of potentially bankrupting scores of Americans who worked for or supported President Trump. They face financial ruin defending themselves against the committee's attack. In his appearance Monday on Steve Bannon's fucking podcast, Gates predictably
1: said, you know what? Newt's right. We are gonna take power and when we do, It's not gonna be the days of Paul Ryan and Trey Gowdy where the Republicans go limp-wristed, where they lose their backbone and fail to send a single subpoena. No, it's going to be the days of Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you know what? We're going to get answers, real answers about what, about what happened in the election, answers about the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and certainly answers about a Department of Justice and a national security apparatus that has gone totally off the rails. They have become the enforcement wing of the Democratic Party. The entire country knows it. And you know what? We need honest, fair, real application of the laws in our country we're not getting that now and frankly we weren't really getting it at the doj under president trump there's a lot of swamp left to be drained and i can't wait to get the gavels in our hands to get the subpoenas ready to go and to get these answers for the american people
0: on monday bannon also floated the idea of impeaching joe biden it's probably just a matter of time before both ideas gingrich's and bannon's are the default position of Republicans running for office.
2: The former Republican Speaker of the House
0: Newt Gingrich uh, made some rather shocking comments uh, about the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection, saying that they will potentially face jail time if Republicans take the House uh, this fall. Get the fuck out of here. Gingrich is well aware that using political power to lock her up, as it were, is the stuff of banana republics and authoritarian regimes. In his The Wolves Will Become Sheep column, seemingly oblivious to the irony, Gingrich compares the January 6th committee to some of history's most vindictive. Think of Joseph Stalin killing his rivals. Think of the Castro brothers torturing, imprisoning, and exiling political opponents. Consider the decay of Zimbabwe under Robert Mugabe as political opponents were imprisoned, killed, and exiled, he writes. Recall the ruthlessness of Hugo Chavez in taking over Venezuela. In Gingrich's telling, the January 6th committee are the wolves, and Gingrich is advocating not revenge, but a restoration of the rule of law. Ideas have consequences, and Gingrich is trafficking in a very bad idea. Exiled Republican Representative Liz Cheney summed it up thusly. A former Speaker of the House is threatening jail time for members of Congress who are investigating the violent January 6th
1: attack on our Capitol and our Constitution. And she tweeted a response to Gingrich uh, and it said in part, quote, this is what it looks like when the rule of law unravels. And, and a suggestion that basically Gingrich just throwing out claims that really aren't based in any kind of fact, that somehow uh, a duly impaneled congressional investigation uh, does not have the ability to conduct oversight, which is exactly what this committee is doing. And we should also point out, Jake, that There has been a lot of litigation about the conduct of this committee already. Uh, The former president, Donald Trump, his allies have gone to great lengths to attempt to sue, to prevent the committee from doing their work. So far, the committee has won every single one of those lawsuits. So it's a bit head-scratching that the former Speaker of the House would suggest that somehow they're breaking the law, Jake.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure what the opposite of virtue signaling is, but it seems like this is what that was. As future historians contemplate whether Donald Trump was the inevitable conclusion for the GOP or a and outlier, A complicating factor will be how many Republican heroes from the 1990s, think Gingrich, Rudy Giuliani, and Rush Limbaugh, embraced and enabled him.
1: When Trump first ran for president in 2016, um, most Republican elites um, were disgusted by him and and, and said we would never accept him. And and, and Gingrich was one of the first people to say no. He's really got something to say. We should listen to this guy. Um, So he he really saw which way the party was going and, and got ahead of it.
0: And for those still sleep at the wheel to the prospect of the GOP retaking the majority. This is the nighttime scenario. The idea that Gates, empowered by the authoritarian bluster of Gingrich, is planning for reprisals is a terrifying thought. But this is a truly rotten fucking bunch and there's nothing that they won't do to get back the gavel and stay in power. And now for the main event. My next guest, Molly Junkfast, returns to Mea Copa to help us read the political tea leaves and make sense of where we are headed as the midterm elections draw near. The host of the widely popular New Abnormal podcast and columnist for The Atlantic, Junkfast has been a consistent voice of protest as the GOP continues its steady attack on reproductive rights as well as access to the ballot box. Her most recent article for The Atlantic considers the nightmare scenario of a future candidate much worse than Donald Trump. Something I have warned about for years, the idea of a smarter, more presentable, less flawed version of Trump capable of ushering in a new era of authoritarianism. John Fast considers this terrifying notion and whether Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott is that person or just pretenders to the throne. We discuss all this and more on the next Maya Culpa. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Molly, one of the more overlooked headlines this week amongst the subpoenas and the release of Trump's archives was the revelation that Rudy Colluti Giuliani oversaw a vast plot to install a slate of fake electors in seven states. I mean, can you imagine, in seven states. Can you explain to my listeners... What they were trying to do and ultimately what happened, because as far as I'm concerned, this must be a criminal offense, right?
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's, I mean, it sounds insane and it's certainly immoral. And, you know, some of this stuff, it's interesting. It's like, there's such a high bar for criminality when it comes to these kind of crimes, I think because they're not perpetrated all that often. But you see a lot of times, uh, for example, like, uh, there, you know, I was reading something that said that there, there's, you know, there's a question about what that whether or not Trump saying to Raffensperger, find me those eleven thousand votes, is criminal, right? Because there, you know, is if he thinks he actually won, it might not be. So I don't know ultimately. I mean, it would seem as I mean the the thing that always sort of shocks me is like Rudy was raided by the FBI. And remember his office and his house were raided by the FBI. And and that was months ago. And we haven't really seen anything with that. And I'm 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 sort of I, I just I'm curious to know why we haven't. I mean, what do you think is happening with Merrick Garland?
0: You know, look, we're we're very critical of Merrick Garland. I'm not only critical of him here on this podcast, but I'm also critical of him on television. Last night I was on, uh, on MSNBC, the day before that on CNN. And I'm very critical of Merrick Garland in the fact that we're coming off of four years of an administration that weaponized the Justice Department, that saw fit in order to come down with the full force and weight of the U.S. government, of our Justice Department, when they remanded me, back to prison, including when I was first sent to prison. You know, we talk about, you brought up a really good point, whether it is or it's not uh, a crime, whether he thought it was or he wasn't. I wish that they would insert a small amount of the force and effect that they employed upon me when they gave me 48 hours. Now, they raided Rudy's home. I was actually outside on Madison Avenue walking to the park. When I saw all of this shit going on in front of his building, and of course I had to, I see all this stuff in front of Rudy's building, I figured it has to be, you know, him. And if it's not him, I know a few people that live in the building, so I wanted to see what was going on. So I walked over- it has
2: to be Rudy. I know that building. I mean, everyone else is 80 years old there. I mean, they're not having the FBI. I mean, do you think of anyone else who lives in that building who- has, who would have- well,
0: everybody in that building is not 80 years old. My friends that are there my age that live there. But I do have to say not they're FBI. not Rudy Colludi. Right? right. They're not FBI material. To put, to put this into perspective, I see them all walking out with boxes. And the friend who I know who lives in the building said, yeah, because um, you know, he lives in the same line as Rudy Colludi. And he turns around and he says to me, yeah, they just raided Rudy's apartment. I was like, Yes. Thinking like you, thinking like all of my listeners right now, that something's going to come out of this, and it's going to come out quick, and that we're going to finally see some action by Merrick Garland. You know, he is so measured in everything. He wants to be the exact opposite of Bill Barr. Now, I'm not saying that he has to be the exact opposite. No,
2: I don't think anyone wants that.
0: Right. We need a little Trumpism. And the Democratic side, and that needs to be pushed by. And a lot of people yell at me for saying this. It needs to be pushed by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They have to basically say to him, "We're not telling you to target Trump, to target Jr., Ivanka, Eric, Laura Trump, uh, you know, Rudy, or the, the whole mess of these cast of characters." I even said on Allison Camrada the other day. I don't want to see Donald Trump go to jail because I politically disagree with virtually everything that comes out of his mouth. I want to see him go to jail because he committed crimes. That's the the idea that Merrick Garland has to understand we as not just Democrats, but as Americans, that's what we need to see. So he needs to stop pussyfooting around all of this bullshit, and he has to go on the attack, because if not, we look toothless. And that's the worst thing to look when you're going into a midterm election.
2: I also think we need uh, accountability, and we need to see trials, and we need to see charges, and we need to see a narrative. Like, there were so many... Even if he gets off which, you know, who knows, we still need to see the wheels of justice and that they work on everybody, right? There's a whole sense with all of this that white collar criminals are not the same as 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 violent criminals. And we all know that they are. And, and I feel like part of what's happening here is that there's this, you know, I mean, if you look at all these people who are, I mean, Roger Stone and I mean, they're all, you know, just going to parties and raising money and giving speeches.
0: Yeah. Now, you asked a good question as well about whether it is or it's not a crime. One thing that I would be looking at if I was Merrick Garland is um, 18 USCA, which is the crime of sedition. Right. And sedition is a criminal offense, In fact, you know, the way it's described is that sedition is an overt conduct such as speech and organization that tends towards rebellion against the established order. And sedition can include, you know, things like commotion, though it doesn't have to be aimed at direct uh, and open violence against the laws. As far as I'm concerned, that's certainly a charge, That can and should be raised. You know, just take it. You know, they're revolting. They're inciting against government. We all know they went there. It's been the testimony of the people that went there in order to stop Joe Biden's certification. Right. right. That's an act of Congress. They tried to stop it. As far as I'm concerned, it was done via speech and via organization at the Ellipse rally. It is a crime. Now, they may turn around. The
2: have already been charged with it too. So that makes
0: sense. It sure does. Now, one of the things that you were bringing up is goes right back to the First Amendment, right? Um, Because obviously, the First Amendment is broad protection of free speech. um, And so that's why sedition claims are extremely rare. However, however, now put the son of a bitch under the spotlight, like what they did to me and bring the full force and effect of the U.S. government, of our ju- uh, uh, Justice Department, bring them into play and watch how fast people start to fold around them. You see, right now, people like Caludi, right? You know, Rudy They, As you said, they're walking around, they're smiling, he's eating, he's getting fatter by the day. I saw him waddling in the fucking street. It's a, it's incredible. And they're raising money. You got the same thing with Death Santis, You got Boebert, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all of these fucking assholes are raising money still off of the big lie. And what we need to do is we need to break this shit apart. And the way that you do that, go after the big guy, let him fucking fight for his life. Let him say, I'm not, not, I don't agree with this. I'm going to bring a, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this based on the first amendment. Good for you. Fight it, fight it. Pay for it, but then you start making others around him the Josh Hawley's, the Matt Gates, the the, the whole group. You make them start thinking, Holy shit, I saw what happened to Michael Cohen, right? I went to prison because I paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 not to discuss her affair with Trump. Right. Rest assured, this is much worse.
2: When you run into um, Rudy, when you see him on the street, what happens?
0: Oh, so this was great. So I'm turning the corner on 61st and Madison. This is, a, this is a short while ago. And he's walking with, I don't know if it's his new girlfriend, his handler. I don't know what he is. But he's waddling along like the penguin from Batman uh, number one with uh, Michael Keaton. And he's just like dragging that back leg. He looks like he's on cortisone because he's all bloated. I, I mean, it's a bloated Rudy Colluti. That I can <laughs> tell you. Yeah. And I'm like, Rudy, Rudy. Now it's interesting because he clearly didn't recognize that it was me. Wow. He did not. I couldn't believe it. Maybe his mental faculties are dissipating as well, but he didn't recognize it's me. And I wanted to engage him in conversation when the girlfriend turned around and said, that's Michael Cohen. That's Michael Cohen. Don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. And he just, you know, he just kept walking. I'm like, you have a wonderful day, Rudy, right? (laughs) Promise I'll send you some shit from Amazon when you're in, you know, and he just, they just keep walking. But I have no problem, you know, with passing him. It's not going to get, you know, anything stupider than me making a nasty comment or him just looking away and walking away.
2: But that's fascinating. (laughs) Well, New York is a very small place. Very small place.
0: So let me ask you this, Molly. In your recent piece for The Atlantic, you write that Democrats should run on a bold anti-corruption agenda. Would you do me a favor and unpack for my listeners how this could benefit the Democrats in the midterms and ultimately help break that MAG stronghold?
2: So the idea here is that you have one party that has really decided democracy is not for them. Right. You have state members of state uh, state governments sort of deciding that Trump is they would rather side with Trump than with democracy. They don't want free and fair elections unless they are going to win. And even then and even like the polling that supports this idea that a lot of Republicans don't want democracy. They just want to win. And. Democrats have this very tough position, right? Because they are, you, you can't have only one party in a two party system want democracy. It sets up a, a terrible precedent, right? Because you have Democrats wanting to win but also needing to keep uh, democratic norms. And that is an impossible situation. So what I'm suggesting is that Democrats There's this one bill. There are two bills right now in the Senate, one from Josh Hawley, if you can believe it, which makes me think that it's a ploy and not a real bill. And the other bill is from uh, Ossoff and Mark Kelly. And these bills prevent members of Congress from trading stocks. This is a real problem. Nobody wants members of Congress to trade stocks because I mean, the polling says that most people are against it. And they're against it for good reason, because these are the people who are making the laws and the people who make the laws should not then be able to profit off those laws. And even if they're not, it still it creates the illusion of impropriety. So it may be an illusion. It may be true. But even still, it's bad. It's bad either way. So my idea is that Democrats start with that, with this ass off. Bill, make Republicans have to vote on corruption because corruption, there is no right or, you know, there's no right corruption. There's no good corruption. Corruption is not, corruption like part like voting should not be a partisan issue. And I think that Republicans, I mean, another problem with Republicans is their messaging is so good that they're able to message, you know, voting is not a partisan issue. Voting should be just, you know, Voting is just voting. You want people to vote. Being pro-democracy is not partisan. But Republicans have made it partisan. And so my idea is that Democrats run on this bold anti-corruption agenda, which includes banning stock trading.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's just a whole nother question that I can go into, or it's a whole nother topic that I can go into that I don't think that there's a Republican, a Democrat. Or an independent, other than those in Congress who are taking advantage of it, that turn around and believe that members of Congress should be allowed to insider trade. Because that's yeah. what it is. It's insider trading. If I'm the guy, didn't Chris Collins of New York go yes. to prison for exactly yeah. that? Right. Yes. And yet, also, I remember about six or seven years ago, they actually changed that rule that members yeah. of Congress cannot insider trade. Yeah. Well, what is this? It's the exact same thing. So I know, obviously, you know, being a Democrat, I, I find it offensive. I find it offensive it's if, it, if it's a Republican doing it. I find mm-hmm. it equally offensive if it's a Democrat or an Independent. I have a real problem with inside You're not supposed to run for the purpose of going to Washington to line your pockets. That's, mm-hmm. That should really only be left for Donald. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that was his <laughs> entire his intent. And what? And his kids. And of course, his same thing. I mean, they're they're mini Donald bots. You know, they they copy their father's stupidity. They behave or they're trying to behave just like their father. And um, obviously, we see it's not going to work out well for anybody. But yeah, I don't know if you saw this, but there's a Gallup poll that just came out and it's making Predictions for the midterm elections, as well as even for the general elections, a little bit more shaky. Because historically, there's always been a seven to nine point advantage for Democrats uh, in terms of the populace and how they vote. It's somewhere like 49% in 2021, something like that, versus 42% of Republicans. But we're not seeing that. After the fourth quarter of 2021, Gallup came out and they actually changed the numbers that 29% of Americans identify themselves as Democrats, 27% identify themselves as Republicans, and 42% as independents. Now, I was listening to this on television uh, the other day and uh, a pollster came out and kind of tried to explain it. We don't know how these independents are ranking are they democrats that just turn around and say listen i I need to be independent we just came off of fucking four years of lunacy right now joe biden um you know is somewhat on the unpopular line right as Mm -hmm. opposed to where he was when he first took office a lot of this is not his fault some of it is his fault um obviously where we are, where we're at right now with the omicron virus is a reason for the decline in his popularity it's affecting um it's affecting business it's affecting our country we're seeing mortgage rates and we're seeing interest rates you know rising for the first time in a long time but the reason we have omicron is because there's still a slew of people that just fucking refuse to get vaccinated you know, right. if everybody was vaccinated and boosted you would have a de minimis now number of individuals spreading this Omicron. Okay. And even if you did, so for 24 hours, you have a flu. That's part of Joe Biden's, you know, problem right now. And yeah, I get it. Nobody in Washington wants to acknowledge when something is wrong. For yeah. example, I know that they asked, you know, they asked his chief of staff the other day, you know, is it, you know, is it Washington? Is it the White House's res- um, problem right now the fact that, there aren't enough testing kits. Yeah. 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 What you do is shoot an executive order, take over a couple of companies that manufacture this shit and start banging it out. The, the War Powers
2: Act. Just do yeah. what you need to do. I'm curious about that uh, poll. Is that from, it's, what is it? What is it morning consult? Did you say?
0: It's Gallup. It's a Gallup yeah. poll.
2: Yeah. That's Thing. um yeah so no i i mean i uh no i think it's really i think it's it's a real problem and i mean i think that we need people to think a little bit differently in dc i also think fundamentally that one of the biggest problems democrats have is that they don't have the kind of messaging discipline or uh messaging arm that republicans have i mean republicans are so disciplined for example When Biden did that press conference, which was a very long press conference, almost two hours, he had uh, he said at the end of the press conference that he was worried about the midterm elections and whether they would be free and fair because these Republican state uh, electors are are saying they're not going to make it free and fair. And immediately you saw on right wing news that Josh Hawley and Brad Raffensperger, We're working these talking points on TV saying Democrats don't believe in democracy. Fucking bullshit. But it was a sort of like brilliant play on their part to have their messaging aligned and to project the what is the opposite of the truth. So, I mean, you know, Democrats are outmatched in that way. Their messaging is very disciplined.
0: Yeah, Democrats want to—they want to only tell the truth. They want to be soft in terms of how they project their, their statements, whereas Republicans have now learned yeah. from Donald Trump— So clearly they have now attended Trump University. What it means to fucking lie and lie with impunity to the American people. No, Democrats don't believe in, you know, preventing people from going to the ballot box. That's actually the Republicans. But what they do is they just go and they say it. And then all of a sudden you have Fox News and OAN and Newsmax and, you know, all of these other various, you know, right wing, um, conspiracy nut jobs and they just keep promoting yeah. the same statements over and over now all of a sudden de- democrats are defending something which is not true and you know that you can never you can never defend a lie right and it's yeah. it's really it's,
2: it's problematic it's and i also think you know republicans have a whole messaging arm that's very successful from fox news to uh, OAN, to Newsmax. I mean, they're just much better organized when it comes to that. You have mainstream media that's trying to be truthful, and you have right-wing media that's trying to stack the deck. And those are the choices.
0: Yeah, it's true. Now, let's just talk for a moment about the midterms, because I'm asking all of my guests how they're feeling about the upcoming elections and what they're prognosticating. How terrified are you of the GOP retaking the majority? Because me personally, I'm fucking petrified.
2: Yeah. No, it's really worrying, especially because McCarthy's already said that he's going to do all sorts of Benghazi-style investigations to punish Democrats for, you know, I mean, a great example is that, um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene was stripped of her committee assignments. And now... um, McCarthy saying, well, he's going to strip, you know, whoever Democrat of their, you know, he's going to go after the Democrats as a way of getting back at them for holding Marjorie Taylor Green accountable. And it's funny because it shows how crazy the Republican Party has gotten, because even a few years ago when you had uh, Steve King from Iowa, who was a real white supremacist, Um, and shared white supremacist talking points and really acted in a pretty horrendous way. Even then, the Republicans still took him off committee assignments. Now, Republicans are so partisan that they won't even hold their own people accountable for something they did.
0: Well, why why should they? I mean, Kevin McCarthy, for the longest time, has wanted to be the man holding the gavel. And he will do anything and placate Donald any way Mm -hmm. that he can in order to ensure that at least Donald's base is behind him. And that's why he even said to his own, his own fellow Republicans, knock it off, right? Stop trying to hold the position uh, as Speaker over my head, or you will feel my wrath. This I'm not sure what country that we're talking about. If, if you actually took away the U.S. flag in the background and you listen to the words of Kevin McCarthy... You would think that you were in a dictatorship. You would think that you were in an autocracy.
2: I think that's right. I think that's right.
0: And then, and then tell me, Molly, what do you think ends up happening if, in fact, Republicans take the House and they take the Senate? How fast do you think that they're going to be drafting uh, articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, going back to Afghanistan, going back to the coronavirus, going back to God knows what else. His infrastructure bill? They will find anything in order to impeach him. But now if they control the Senate, the judges in this specific case, Joe Biden could potentially be impeached.
2: Yeah, I don't think he'll be. I mean, he might. I I mean, there's not a lot of evidence. I mean, it's certainly possible. There's no there's no bottom to what Republicans will do. I I mean, uh, it's it's. Oh, you know, it's certainly very possible. I I mean, I hope that it doesn't happen because it's I mean, look, we are in a collision course with disaster. Republicans refuse to do the right thing. They continue this partisan attack on democracy. They're installing, you know, more and more people at the state level. They're telling their people to get violent. They're you know, there's just a lot of. You know, you can't have one sane party in a two-party system. You have to have two. And so I don't know what happens, but it looks like we're in a collision course with disaster. I hope it doesn't happen, but it seems like that.
0: Okay, and what do we do in order to stop it? Or at least let's let's not stop it. You can't stop this Republican nonsense from taking place. But there has to be a way that we could divert this train so that it's not a full head-on collision to a wall.
2: I mean, the more seats Democrats can keep in the House and the de- redistricting... I mean, remember, we thought Democratic redistricting would be the end of the Democratic Party and it ended up being okay. So if Democrats keep seats in the House and, and look, there are good... I mean, here's a bright spot, if you're going to look at the bright spot of this. Democrats are upset. Biden hasn't passed everything he wanted to pass. But Democratic redistricting didn't kill the House like Democrats can still it's not like they lose 57 seats. You know, they still have a possibility if they wanted to of being able, you know, it's 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 almost the same as it was. So the redistricting hasn't killed Democrats. And then the other thing is you have Trump and Trump is very bad for the Republican Party. Right. He does crazy, crazy stuff. He won Democrats Georgia, two Senate seats in Georgia. So the good news is, especially now, he's already started making insane endorsements, right? He made, you know, he endorsed Sean Purnell because the son told him to. That guy dropped out, right? Because he beat his wife. I mean, or allegations that he beat his wife. So we have a real situation. There are, can be crazy, crazy candidates. And we see the Republican Party like, you know, some of these candidates are c- completely insane. Right. Like, uh, in Ohio, you have J.D. Vance trying to prove to everyone that he's a MAGA. I mean, it's a real race to the bottom. So, you know, voters mostly want people who are sort of in. The, I mean, it's not always true, but a lot of these voters like Ohio, is, you know, is a swing state. So they elected Sherrod Brown there's a place for a sensible Democrat. And Chair Brown is actually pretty liberal. So, uh, you know, Trump could lose the Senate for Republicans. And he could also mess up the House for Republicans. And I think if Democrats are smart, they focus on that and how crazy and anti-democracy the Republican Party has gotten. And they go in there in those state races and they um, support all of those members of Congress.
0: Yeah, look, I understand that people are angry with Joe Biden. I'm not 100% certain I understand why.
2: No, I'm not. Right? I mean, I think it's a pandemic. I mean, I think it's people are mad that the pandemic is still going, which okay. again,
0: I totally agree. Sucks,
2: I totally agree.
0: And, and Republicans think, need to turn around and they need to help in order to get everyone vaccinated.
2: Yeah. And then the other thing I think, people, the inflation is very tough. And remember, inflation is something where it makes people, you know, I think the two biggest things that are going on are are the inflation and the pandemic. And you can't, it's very hard to, um, it, it, inflation is something that he can't quite fix. He can do some things to make it a little bit better. Um, and And also with the the pandemic, you know, if you have, you know, 40 percent or 37 percent of all Republicans saying I will never get vaccinated because Tucker Carlson's telling them not to, you know, that's an impossible situation, too. So I think those are the two biggest things. And I'm not sure it's that people are angry at Biden in quite. I mean, I think and then there are certainly ideological people who are very disappointed that he hasn't done some of the things that they hoped he would um but i do think largely people are just very fried from the pandemic and 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 pretty unhappy yes
0: but we have there are there, there is anger towards joe biden i hear it mm-hmm. from people who are friends of mine both on the republican and the democratic side each one has something to pick about him and i keep saying to them he's one year into the term one year I understand he made a lot of lofty promises. Okay, that's politics. But he's doing many of them. And he's doing many of them while we're in the face of this pandemic, while we're in the face of the economy going through a real change because of the pandemic. And people just don't want to give him a chance. Allow him more than one year. I just don't understand. Everybody wants everything. One, two, three. We've we become like a Google society. You know, you turn around and you ask a question, you type in uh, an issue, and you have the answer in a thousandth of a second. Well, unfortunately, when you have Republicans that are fighting you tooth and nail on anything and everything, including a pandemic relief package, and then you have people like Mansion and Cinema that are going against you on a voting on the Voters' Rights Act. I mean, this is this incredible. It's impossible. For anyone to get anything accomplished, unless you're Donald Trump, and you decide, fuck Congress, fuck the Senate. I'm going to do right. everything I want by executive order. Biden doesn't want to play that game. And this is where I say Democrats are angry at Biden. It's time for the man to take the fucking right. gloves off, right? He turned around. He said to Donald, right, you, really? You, you want to fight with me? He goes, I'll put you on your fat ass, right? Take the fucking right. gloves off, and let's knock. Fucking Trumpism onto the ground once and for all. Because Trump has been described by myself, starting with, he's a fucking cancer. And if you have like an osteomyelitis of the pinky, what are you going to do? You're going to let it take over your whole body and kill you? Or you cut the pinky off? Take it off. You have to kill Trumpism. Because Trumpism will ultimately end
2: democracy. Yeah. No, I agree. I, You know, I, I agree. For sure.
0: Well, Molly, let me ask you this then. You recently tweeted about the fact that even the assault on basic reproductive rights may not be enough to marshal enough voters on election day to flip the tide in the you know in this midterm elections coming up. At one point, this was a wedge issue that could incite the base and drive out um, a turnout. Why not anymore?
2: So I would say I I don't think that's right. I actually think that it can drive turnout. I think that. One of the reasons why I tweeted that piece was because I'm very pissed off about it, because it was a bunch of uh, political consultants, many from the right, saying that they thought abortion wasn't a winning issue for Democrats. And we know that 60 percent of Americans support some kind of abortion. That is, you know, you can't get Americans to agree on anything, but they agree on that. So. I actually think it really is a winning issue. I think people want to be able to have agency over their bodies and if they need to have an abortion to be able to get an abortion. So I am actually very, I think Democrats should be more focused on this. And I think this is a winning issue for them. Also, the other thing is it's a right, a constitutional right that women have had for a long time, almost more than 50 years, that's being taken away because Donald Trump installed three conservative justices. I mean, it's preposterous, like that's not okay. And, and Democrats should be fighting this.
0: You know, it's funny because over the course of my tenure with Donald, this topic came up. It came up before he ultimately decided to announce that he was gonna run. And he asked me, are you, are you pro-abortion or anti-abortion? And I said, I'm pro-abortion. I believe a woman should have the right to do what she wants with her body. And I said, what about you? He goes, yeah, me too. He goes, but truth? He goes, I don't give a shit. He goes, what right. does it have to do with me? He, go- he yeah. goes, you know, I, I don't like the topic. It's like, um, and this is how he described it. It's like being asked a question, do you beat your wife on Mondays or Tuesdays? There's no right answer for it. So what ultimately happened is as we started to get into the um, into the campaign mode, and the evangelists um, had come out on his behalf, starting with my friends, the Falwells. When I asked them to go and to help Donald, who was sinking like the fucking Titanic um, <clears throat> in you know in I- in Iowa, it's extremely important to them. And the more of these community evang- um, evangelical communities would come to the office, and we would have these big powwows with a hundred black pastors, evangelical pastors, or we would have a much larger group. He started to take on this bullshit line that I'm with you on that. I'm I'm against abortion and so on. And the room started to clap. And then when, of course, they gave him from the Heritage Foundation or one of these other groups that gave him the names of the judges that he should be appointing all over the country and to the Supreme Court once he ultimately became president-elect, they were ecstatic. You see, they don't care that fundamentally they disagree with virtually every single thing that comes out of the walrus's mouth. Everything, whether it has to do with, you know, marriage, whether it has to do with uh, their belief in in, um, gay and uh, LGBTQ, you know, community and so on. Donald doesn't care about that either. But what he did is he played them because he wanted them as their base. And they played him because they really wanted to see the end of Roe v. Wade. It was a mutual benefit with mutual destruction
2: yeah no i agree
0: well let me ask you this then yesterday the supreme court rejected donald trump's efforts to block the national archives from turning over his white house documents do you expect any possible smoking guns in these documents or will this be yet just another shiny fucking object that fails to mortally wound trump what do you think is going on here
2: such an inter- that was such an interesting decision because the only person who took Trump's side was Clarence Thomas, married to Jenny Thomas, big social media fan of the January sixth insurrection, was the only person who took Trump's side. So you really see how completely uh, insane that was, if you only because remember, Trump installed three Supreme Court justices. Uh, what do I think happens? I think I don't know. I mean, there's a few pages. It goes to January 6th committee now. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, look, Merrick Garland needs to he has a criminal referral for Mark Meadows. I hope he's uh, seriously considering that he has a criminal. He's had other criminal referrals. Ultimately, a lot of this is going to come down to to Merrick Garland. And will he do what needs to be done? Right. Because the January 6th committee is fact finding. Um, but Merrick Garland is the one who can really uh, seal the deal. So I think that it needs he needs to have some pressure. And, and uh, certainly um, the media and the, uh, you know, and the judiciary and the government should be pressuring him, though. I mean, the president doesn't want to appear, you know, the 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 white house and the and uh, Mer- the doj are supposed to be separate so it, he can't pressure him but certainly the media could
0: well i think joe biden can pressure him i'm not saying that he should step into his office call him up on the phone and say to him i want you to right now refer Meadows for a criminal indictment. I don't think Joe Biden would do it. I don't think Merrick Garland would do it because they actually have a respect for the law. Now, if it was Republicans, if it was Trump that was in office, especially were they willing and a complicit attorney general to violate the law, meaning Bill Mm -hmm. Barr, they would have already done it. But I want to break that, break your statements down into two parts. First of all, yes, it has now been referred to Merrick Garland, um, uh, Meadows' failure to Respond to the subpoenas for criminal indictment, right? Uh, criminal mm-hmm. referral. How long ago did that happen? weeks Three weeks? weeks. Ago? Three yeah. weeks? Coming close to yeah. a month? Yeah. So my question to you, how long does something like that actually take? If I was the attorney general, uh, Joe Biden, Michael Cohen for attorney general, if I was the attorney general, let me tell you what I would have done. I would call Mark Meadows and I would say to him, We're going to give you one last opportunity. It was referred to me by the House, um, by the committee, the January 6th committee, for a criminal referral for your failure to adhere to the request for, um, you know, for your appearance, a subpoena. Right. If you don't show up, so I'm going to recommend that you call anybody from the committee and give them a date when you're showing up. If not, I'm filing the, the criminal referral and we're going to indict you. That's yeah. what I would say to him. And I would also say, and I hope to God that you don't. Because yeah. by him not acting swiftly onto it, by not acting swiftly, he's actually empowering every other asshole to turn around and to say, subpoena. I'll wipe my ass with that subpoena and mail it back to you without even postage, so you have to pay for it.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I agree. A hundred percent. And? I think that's completely Right. I I want him to do it, but it doesn't seem like. I mean, yes, I think you're right, a hundred percent. So
0: what are we going to do? How how are we going to get Merrick Garland to put on or take off the gloves and start swinging? You see, to have to come off of Bill Barr, who is a fucking animal who abused the law, myself against me, against others. Now you have a guy. Who doesn't want to do anything? Well, I want to show that we're different. You're showing that we're toothless, and you're going to cause the loss of the Democrats, the House and the Senate, because nobody thinks anything is going on. We're going to lose the House and the Senate. You're going to lose the White House as well, because they will impeach
2: Joe Biden, even if they don't end up. You'll lose democracy, which is even worse.
0: Yep, I, I agree with you. And then when we were talking about, for example, the, um, the Supreme Court rejecting you know, Trump's uh, turning over the White House documents, claiming that he has executive privilege, this is the point I'm trying to make, the point that you're making as well. They'll do and say anything that they want in order to get what they want. Yeah. Doesn't any hasn't anybody explained to Trump, maybe if he's listening to the show, I can explain it to him. Molly, you can help me to explain it to him. You're not the executive. You're no longer the president. You are the former defeated president. And I say defeated because how many times in U.S. history has a incumbent president lost? Right. You really have to be just fucking worthless. To yeah. lose because Americans really don't want to change the president every four years. They're happy to see eight years. And generally, you know, the incumbent knows he's going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Not with Donald. And so when he turned around and he said, you know, I'm calling executive privilege on the documents and so on. That's a real problem because it shows two things. It shows, one, he has no idea what he's talking about. And two, even worse, the people that he has surrounding him, like the Rudy Kuludis, are giving him really bad advice. And that advice, if in fact it comes to fruition, is really puts democracy in peril. But then there's even more. There's even more. There's few. You claim that there were only a few pages. That's only a few that have been released right now. There's thousands of documents that will ultimately be released. And yes, I'm extremely happy that the Supreme Court judges who Trump nominated didn't see fit to protect him and to use their office as a member of the Supreme Court to protect him. That's not what they're there for.
2: No, I mean, that was the one of the few hardening things I've seen recently was that the Supreme Court did not because, you know, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Amy Coney have done some pretty like they've voted for some very conservative things. So I was impressed at least that they didn't support that. Of course, it shows how insane it is that. Justice Thomas still did and refused to recuse himself. And, I mean, you really see that the the Supreme Court is now really a partisan mockery. It's not a real serious place. I mean, people have no ethics there. And, and uh, you know, the Thomas case of refusing to recuse himself is a pretty good example of that.
0: Well, at least fortunately, they didn't decide to protect their Fuhrer, right, Um, Right. simply because he nominated them. He, in his mind, truly believes that each and every one of these people that he supported for their positions, not just on the Supreme Court level, but in the federal court system as well, that they are there not in order to do a job, not in order to protect law and the Constitution, but rather to serve him. I mean, that's just how demented the man is.
2: That's what he believes, 100%. 100%, yeah. So, Molly,
0: while the January 6th committee continues to dominate headlines with its subpoenas, Tish James, the New York Attorney General, continues to push forward in tandem with the Manhattan District Attorney now, Alvin Bragg, its sprawling cases against the Trump Organization, Trump's children, Donald himself, Alan Weisselberg, etc., now, it's always been my belief that this case is what will ultimately bring Trump to his knees. Now, we may seek justice for January 6th, but like Al Capone, that justice might come from someplace else. If you would, discuss this with me.
2: You know, the it. I mean, I hope so, for sure. I hope that that, that happens. Um, the Tish James, they've had the kids... Uh the kids have come in and spoke. I think Eric came in. He took the fifth. This Self-incrimination, didn't he? Uh, that
0: that he did 500 times.
2: Yes. 500,
0: 500, 500. times. Please continue.
2: Yeah. Uh, and Ivanka, I think, has come in. Has she come in yet? I think she came in. No, she hasn't yet. I'm not, I'm honestly, I don't recall. She's going to January 6th. I mean, Tish James is very smart. I'm a big fan of Tish James. And she actually, um, she decided not to run for governor, which she had been thinking about, in order to finish this case, which is really, in my mind, very impressive to uh, put your own sort of job and the job you need to be doing before your pro- your political ambitions. And uh, she's quite smart. And I think she's very... Um, focused on getting this fucking thing done alvin bragg is really good too i mean i wouldn't sleep on alvin bragg and and he's um really a bold thinker and a pretty interesting guy and so i I mean trump is in trouble and then there's also there's georgia i mean there's a lot of cases look he's going to be either way a, a defendant for the rest of his life will he be president again perhaps i mean i don't know how this goes how this ends
0: Well, obviously, nobody knows because nobody has the crystal ball that we would all like to have. Um, Yeah, to me, when I saw the document—by the way, let's not forget about the um, action that Stephanie winston Walcoff brought to D.C., which is about the Presidential Inaugural Committee. I mean, they—here's the the reason I bring all of this up. So let's just break it down for a second. Tish James's case— against Trump, or Donald, Weisselberg, the kids, etc. That's all based in a civil matter. That's right. monetary. Right. And we know two things about Donald. He cares about himself, and he cares about money. After that, there's nothing else that he cares about. right? So this case, this case is really important because Donald and his net worth are synonymous to one another. Without his net worth, who's really Donald Trump? He's some guy with a shitty comb-over, right, that just says stupid things, like the crazy uncle that gets drunk at Thanksgiving and comes to your table and says dumb shit. That's Donald, right? But now, couple that, because you're right, Tish James is one smart cookie. And now that, you know, so is Cy Vance, though, I wish I would have done more before leaving, but now we have Alvin Bragg in. And yeah. I can't tell you because I don't know him what I think about him, but I do know that the same people that were involved in this district attorney case here in New York are the same people that are remaining there. It's not as if Alvin Bragg came in right. and turned around and said to like um, Mark Pomerantz, who's running it, who is a RICO specialist. Right from a white shoe firm, right, that was brought in. He didn't walk away from being a partner in a white shoe firm for X number of years because this isn't going to happen. That's just not from me because I have any specific knowledge, just it makes perfect sense. Nobody walks away from a high-paying job to take on something that you're not going to see go to fruition. So I'm curious to see how Alvin Bragg decides, you know, to continue the ball. But the DAs office and the AG's office are working in tandem. Tish James has the civil side, and Alvin Bragg now has the criminal side. This is a one-two punch against all of these folks. Donald, Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Weisselberg, and many others. And my understanding is, from reading this, it it was in an article by the New York Times the other day, that what you really have is a dozen people and I'm, I can tell you emphatically, I am one of those 12. But a dozen people have come in and provided testimony to the inflation and the deflation of Donald Trump's assets, as well as his mens rea, the fact that he knew what he was doing. And that's yeah. where the criminal case starts to really get significant. Now- it would be an interesting scenario if one of the kids would turn around and said, My father had no idea about any of this. Or Alan Weiselberg would say, Donald had no idea about any of this, and that they take the rap for him. Now, to me, I don't see that as being
2: realistic. I, I don't see that happening.
0: Yeah, I just don't see. I could see more like Donald throwing Don Jr. under the bus, or throwing Weiselberg, or Donald Bender from Mazur, or somebody else under the bus, claiming this wasn't me. You know, uh, Michael Cohen is the one who did it. He even told you.
2: Wasn't there a time when Don, when Don Senior was thinking about throwing Don Jr. under the bus?
0: Yeah, that had to do with the district attorney's case against Trump uh Soho where yeah. Don Jr and Ivanka were being charged with fraud that there was something like maybe of the units had been sold and they claimed it was like 62%. But you have to understand when it comes to this whole group of grifters, they don't care about the truth. Truth doesn't matter. The truth is what I think and what I want to say in order to promote myself. Now, Trump would turn around and say, this is bullshit. This is just puffing. All real estate people do this. It's one thing if you say you have 12% and then you say, uh, instead you say 15% of the building is sold. Right, even, right. If you, even if you bumped it up to 20%, okay, they can turn around and make an argument that it's within a margin of error here or there, right? But Ram. when you go so far over, it's no different than the allegations that are brought against Trump by the same two officers. Where he lied about the size of his apartment, claiming it was worth right. like over two hundred million because it's thirty three thousand square feet. When in right. fact, as the developer, as the man with his name on the building, it's in fact eleven thousand square feet. And he uses those numbers, puts together the personal financial statement, which I was involved in, in doing along with Alan Weisselberg, sending it off to Mazers for you know production, and he would give it to banks in order to obtain loans or to insurance companies to get favorable rates i mean we used that personal financial statement when we made a bid for the buffalo bills yeah that's crazy i mean as i said they lie with impunity and they absolutely don't care about a single thing nothing to them is out of reach and no lie is too big or too small so long as it benefits him so molly as we Come to, you know, the end, come to the hour. I just have, you know, one or two more questions for you. Now, one of the more potentially frightening aspects of the larger MAGA political strategy is what Steve Bannon called the Hamlet strategy. Now, not as in Shakespeare, but as in the targeting of small-town electoral boards. They seek to go, they literally seek to go city by city town by town, and take over the mechanics and the infrastructure of local governments from school board seats all the way up to the secretary, to the state secretary position, which controls the elections. Now, how successful will this ultimately be? Or is it just more loud, angry hype by Bannon, by the Republicans, and so on?
2: I think it could happen. I mean, I think it could happen, for sure. You know... I think, look, it's uh, it's, you know, they're smart about it and they're doing it in a smart way and Democrats are not. So, um, yeah, it's well within the range of possibility. It's really scary. And for sure, Democrats should be paying attention to it. Democrats should be doing it themselves. I mean, I I'm not a big Steve like I don't think of Steve Bannon as like a genius mastermind the way some people do because I think he's kind of he's sort of part of his shtick is that he's a genius mastermind, which he's not. But uh I think this is a very smart way to go and and Republicans have already been doing this for a long time, you know, targeting at the state level, you know, from dog cat I mean this is what the Koch brothers did, right? They targeted, you know, dog catchers. And, and I mean, you would have you have big swaths of this country where Democrats don't run because they're so red. And and, you know, you have lots of intimidation. And I mean, I remember we uh, during the during the last midterm, there was a candidate who was running against Louis Gomer in Texas's first district. And they didn't the Democrat. We had him on the podcast a bunch of times. And and they didn't even open the polls in the Democratic area of Texas's first district on time. I mean, you know, there's a lot of hanky-panky going on in some of these very red states. So it does not surprise me.
0: So, you know, you talk about Steve Bannon as being a political genius, as being some mastermind. I'm with you on it. I think he's a, yeah. I think he's a dumb asshole, to be honest with you. I recall, and you may remember this, March, give or take, it was March of 2017, I went to the White House. I was sitting with Donald, just the two of us in the Oval Office, and I had no choice but to ask him, why in the world did you go ahead and roll out as the very first action that you wanted to do as a president, the Muslim ban? Now, you could call it whatever you want. I said, you know, you called it as an immigration ban. You and I both know that it was a Muslim ban. And my yeah. question to you is, why? Why would you do it? And you know what his answer his was? racism. What? He left it in the hands of Steve Bannon and Steve Miller. And he goes, I know, I know. It didn't really, who are both white supremacists. Even right. oh, Steve Miller's Jewish, even his own family won't speak to him. He is a white supremacist. And he said, we'll, we'll get it right the next time. And my question to him at that point in time was, For years now, and I'm talking like over two years, we talked about this election. Actually, it was even more than that. Going back to 2011, when I first started, you know, um, talking with him about the elections, and what ultimately happened that we wanted to happen was the first bill that he was going to introduce was supposed to be an infrastructure bill. And then I leave you with just this thought, and I leave all of my listeners with this thought. Had Donald Trump rolled out the infrastructure bill Instead of relying upon the likes of Steve Bannon and Steve Miller and his daughter and son-in-law and so on. And had he turned around and not fought the coronavirus, you realize that he would still be president today. He fucked himself, which is hysterical. And he continues to do it on a daily basis. But Molly, let me thank you for joining me today on Mea Culpa. I truly appreciate it. Hope to see you soon.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And um, stay in touch. And now for today's mea culpa. In reading Molly Jungfest's piece in The Atlantic, I can't help but wonder for the future of democracy. I know that sounds alarmist, but the signs of its steady erosion are all around us. The notion that a mainstream Republican figure like Newt Gingrich has taken the red pill and fallen under the sway of MAGA to the point where he's advocating for the imprisonment of January 6th committee members is fucking terrifying. He is giving very vocal approval to the very worst impulses in the GOP. With the midterm elections looming next fall, the idea that these jackals will return to the scene of the crime and draw blood from those seeking accountability by threatening them with prison is terrifying unto itself. Beyond that is the fact that even without Donald Trump, the MAGA train and its authoritarian vision of America continues to barrel forward replacing the devil in Donald Trump with a new devil far more competent is what I have feared all along. The question now is what do we do? Biden continues to falter and Democrats are looking very vulnerable. Should we lose the House and Senate, everything we hold dear will be thrown out the window. Kevin fucking McCarthy will be the next speaker of the House and Trump will be calling the shots from Mar-a-Lago. Somebody please wake me up when the fucking nightmare is over. Unfortunately, hiding is not an option. We must continue the fight. Here at Mea Culpa, we're redoubling our efforts to educate my millions and millions of listeners about the political truth of what we are facing. I only hope it makes a difference at the ballot box, which is, in the end, our only possible savior. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up. Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, and it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level.